1: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard, rough weekend, guys, I mean, in many respects, and here's the thing, I've had some people say, well, you know, at least we're not getting beat like this, a loss is a loss, and uh, losing does not work for Mississippi State baseball, we are currently six games over 500, that's unacceptable, it just is absolutely unacceptable let's just kind of i mean let's just call it for what it is right it's unacceptable it's not acceptable here that's the truth of the matter i'm trying to get these these levels right so if i'm a little bit off today i apologize but uh yeah it's frustrating like all of you i mean the reality of it is like i have people that reach out after ball games and you know like steve tell us guys i don't have any words of wisdom for you that's going to make you feel better about the current state of mississippi state baseball I'm just not and it's amazing how one inning changes the perception of your team and here's the reality of it is we entered the weekend kind of knowing we had no margin for error we were hoping to get a sweep a couple swings away from getting a sweep a couple pitches away from getting a sweep we end up losing the series and now today it feels like the world is ending It does. It is just college baseball, but we invest so much of our time, our finances, our interest level, our emotions in Mississippi State College Baseball and really athletics as a whole. And then we struggle. You know, you look forward to this all year long, right? We're going to gather at Dirty Noble Field. We're going to have these huge crowds and we're going to cheer our team on to Omaha. And the reality of it is, is the possibility of doing that was erased really in in many respects a long time ago and so we want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt right you're thinking okay okay you start doing it you bargain with yourself right oh well there's if we can win this we can do that and that's just to kind of keep the thin hope alive and that's where I've been for the last month I remember thinking hey you know the schedule eases up for us a little bit we got to make hay then, then if we can avoid being swept. But here's the thing that I tell myself, and I thought about this yesterday evening on the way home from Auburn. Guys, we just simply can't. We just simply can't sit back and say, well, you know, this is a new normal for Mississippi State. That we're sweating out making the SEC tournament. I mean, come on. It's not acceptable. It's not. And, you know, last year, you, you kind of explained it away, and, of course, we're still living with the euphoria of winning a national championship for the first time. And you're like, ah, you know, we've had some injuries, and we've had some injuries this year, too. The thing that I complained to ask myself is, um, from a recruiting standpoint, how have we gotten to the point that one or two injuries wreck our season? This is Mississippi State. LSU's had some injuries on the mound. They're near number one team in the country. He said, but Steve, they, you know, they, they spent two million hours in the portal. Maybe they did. Maybe we should. Arkansas had a bunch of injuries this year. Uh, you know, they were top ten team until this week. You know, and so that's the thing that I ask ourselves. It's our contemporaries. Okay, our, our contemporaries are not most of our league peers. It's the top half of the league because this is a sport that we have routinely competed for national championships and top eight national seeds and the chance to host regionals. We're not prepared and nor should we accept ever being relegated to being an also ran in our own conference, a conference that we built. It's unacceptable. It is. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your affiliation is to Mississippi state baseball. I said this on Boban show this morning, no player, no coach, no athletic director, no university president is bigger than the brand of Mississippi State Baseball. And things got to change. They do. Now, am I ready to just kind of you know, you know, wad up my media guide and throw it in the trash and say, okay, this thing is done. There are parts of me yesterday I felt that way. I mean, it's like after that had that, that ball game went final, I just kind of sat there with my head in my hands for a few seconds. I got my stuff, went down a game. It's one of those things, man, it's just like it, that losing does not sit well with us. Right? It's one of those things I think about for generations on the football side of things. People are like, hey, you know what? If we can just be mediocre and beat Ole Miss, it's a good year. Yeah, yeah well, that, that may have worked for years ago, but we expect more these days and certainly from our baseball program. You don't make the financial commitment to baseball and have the fan support that we have and the amenities that we offer recruits and have these sorts of struggles. I can explain it away for one year. I can't for two. You can't. You know, one's an anomaly. Two begins a trend. Things got to change, period. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. You can always count on the winners there, right? You can always, always, always. A lot of consistency there at Bulldog Burger Company. I'll probably get in there this week before I leave and go to Knoxville. I was thinking about that over the weekend, what I want to order. I've been craving that Mississippi barbecue burger again. Just something about that sauce that makes it a little bit different. That new pulled pork grilled cheese sandwich, I'm a huge fan of that. I love the genre, and I think the top of that pack is the one at Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and have those on your next visit. You'll be glad you did. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark, Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. I could have used some this weekend. Got a little haggard. Didn't bring the razor with me, right? But the reality of it is, is I know what to expect from Bulldog Burger Company. I know when I go and put my feet under their table, I'm going to get great service. Great food at a great price. Go by and let them serve you today. They'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's jump into the recap of the weekend. It's difficult and as frustrating as it was, we had every opportunity to not only win this series, but sweep the series. And I'm sure Auburn people are waking up today, to, oh, we should have swept. And we knew going into the weekend, these two teams were similarly situated. And how many times have we talked about it? When it's a toss-up, it usually favors a home team. And it did. It shouldn't have, but it did. All right, let's go back to uh, Friday night. A game where the offense struggled tremendously. David Mershon, you're starting shortstop again throughout the weekend. And was Exceptional. Lane Forsyth made him getting Wally Pipped. If you don't know the reference, check it out. Wally Pipp missed the game. They put uh, Lou Gehrig in there, and then uh, he played 2,130 consecutive games. But Mershon getting it done at the plate, too. Putting the ball in play, making things happen. He's a competitor. He'll steal a base for you. Kid plays hard, man. He does. But he opens up the uh, first inning of Friday night's game with a strikeout swinging. better then flies out to left. Hines strikes out swinging. So one, two, three inning uh, to open the ball game. We matched that. Kate Smith I thought was really good. Bottom of one, we get a ground out to the third baseman. We get Foster to strike out swinging. And Pierce strike out swinging. Foster, very difficult weekend until his final swing on Sunday. All right, top of second. State has a chance here to make some things happen. Uh, Dakota Jordan, who did have a difficult weekend, had a couple hits on Sunday, but a difficult weekend. He's on everybody's uh, scout now. I mean, his name is circled, right? Uh, but he fouls out to third. Hancock then singles back up the middle. Alford strikes out swinging, and then Kellum Clark works it for a walk. Larry strikes out swinging. So traffic on the bases there for the Bulldogs, but um, couldn't get a run in. Bottom of second. Ike Irish is the guy we talked about, kind of the straw that stirred a drink. State did a really good job against Irish all weekend, the designated hitter there. I mean, he's supposed to be their best hitter, and State really made him look rather pedestrian. Where strikes out lucky, McMurray then walks. McMurray killed us, absolutely killed us. You want an MVP of the weekend for Auburn? It's your first baseman, McMurray. Howell then pops up the short, so uh, Kate again, has the two-out walk there, which are of the devil, but we're able to navigate around that. Top of third. Heifel strikes out swinging. Mershon gets a bunt down to kind of break things up a little bit. Led better than doubles to left. Mershon has to hold at third. But now you got runners at second and third with your three and four hole hitters coming up. you got to think, hey, we can at least elevate something, get an RBI sack fly we don't here. Give Vale some credit. He gets Hines to strike out swinging and Jordan to strike out swinging. So we get nothing and are forced to like it. You want to talk about... <clears throat> nuances of college baseball this is one of them this is situational hitting you have got to put a ball in play I don't care if it's a ground ball on the right side if it's an RBI sack fly whatever it is you got to give us a chance especially with a guy as quick as Mershon at third you got to give us a chance guys and we don't and give them some credit for making some big pitches but uh, those guys are hitting three and four for a reason you got to rake and I'm not being negative about their seasons both of them are superstars for us this was a superstar moment. We didn't come through. All right, bottom of third. Smith gets us back in the dugout quickly with the 1-2-3 inning. Get a ground out of green. LaRue grounds out to the third. Stanfield then lines out to left. Very efficient inning for Smith. Stegas, 1-2-3 in the fourth. Hancock with a K. Alfred grounds out the short. And then Kellum Clark strikes out swinging. And Vale, the lefty, gave us some trouble. He did. All right, bottom of four. Foster pops up the short. We walk Bobby Pierce. We get Irish to fly out to center, and then Ware strikes out swinging. So navigate around the one-out walk there. No issue. Still a scoreless game after four innings of play. All right, top of five. We get a leadoff walk to Imani Larry. Then we sacrifice him to second. Top of the order is coming up here. You got to make plays, right? Top of the order is up, and you've got a runner in scoring position to break through here. Well, they walk, Mershon. Led better than grounds to second. Um, the only play was the first here. So now you got again runners in scoring position, and Hunter Hines comes up. And we get a strikeout swinging. Another big moment there. We didn't come through. Our bottom of five, Smith has done a great job. <laughs> Auburn didn't have a hit through four innings. The very first pitch of the uh, of the fifth is a home run to right center from McMurray. Gets Auburn on the board. Smith recovers quickly. Gets a ground out of Howell. A ground out of Green. We do walk. Nate LaRue and I hate I hate two out walks but especially walking the nine hole hitter who had the lowest batting average on the team and it happened multiple times this weekend we'll get to a big one later but LaRue walks but they single to left here and DJ comes up and throws the runner out at the plate great throw great tag probably a bad decision by Auburn to send him it gets us out of the inning. So it could have been a much bigger inning for Auburn. It ends up being just a solo home run. Our top of six, they bring in John Armstrong and place a veil. And it gets us one, two, three here. We get Jordan strike out swinging. Hancock grounds out the short. offered strikes out swinging. And I thought maybe with them going with the right-hander here, maybe we can get our left-handers going a little bit. Bottom of six, uh, Foster strikes out swinging. Pierce singles through the left side. Irish, then a little nubber out there in front of the plate. Nice play by... Uh, Ross to make the play. Uh, runner takes second, and then Ware strikes out looking. So through six innings here, Kate Smith is pitching winning baseball for your Bulldogs. The only run of the game is just, you know, a solo shot where we're just trying to get ahead with the fastball, and the hitter guesses right. It's one nothing after six. And again, we've left multiple runners on base in scoring position. This is on us. Give them credit, but this is on us. Top of seven. State finally gets even here. Kellum Clark strikes out swinging. Larry then walks and is balked to second. I didn't see much. They said he had the ball. He's on the rubber, and he kind of turned his shoulder. It was kind of a judgment call. It always is. But they balk him to second. Heifel then grounds out the short. Runner has to hold at second. Mershon, infield single, and uh, Larry never stops on the play. 0-2 count here. And with Mershon's speed, that's the thing. Nothing is routine with him. And Larry never stops. The first baseman is a little slow to react here because he's stretching there trying to make a play. And then all of a sudden you have to kind of absorb what happened. And then Larry, and I don't know if Cheeseborough sent him or he just kind of figured that out on his own. Uh, it's a play at the plate, but Larry's in there easy. It's 1-1. So even though we have not done much offensively, here we are in the latter innings in a tie game. They bring in uh, Tanner Ballman for Armstrong. He walks Ledbetter, pushes Mershawn to second. So again, the lead runner's on here. And Hines strikes out swinging. Really tough night. And, again, every time that Hines came up in this ballgame, we had runners in scoring position. He just didn't come through. And that's not in any way, you know, that's, that's just a, an assessment of that day. He is a tremendous baseball player for us. But that's a guy you want up there looking to do damage, and we just didn't come through. All right, bottom of seven. Again, it's it's a one 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 ballgame. Nate Dom comes in. We get McMurray to strike out swinging, which is a major accomplishment. And that was a lengthy at bat, too, and Nate wins it. Howell then strikes out looking. Green is hit by the pitch on a one-two count, but then we get LaRue. I'd love to have had LaRue leading off the eighth. It's baseball. Sometimes things don't go as planned. All right, we get a leadoff walk here in the eighth. DJ works the count, gets down to a one, and then gets four consecutive balls. And then Hancock rolls over one, and it's a double play. Three, six, three. Huge, huge play in this game. Offer then flies out to right center. Yeah, you really need Luke to come through right there. You do. And certainly, if you're going to get out, just get yourself out. Don't record two. All right, bottom of eight, Sandfield comes up and, and a very, very nice sharply hit ball in the left field. And then this craziness happens here. Foster, again, a terrible weekend for him. Can't get the bunt down, and Ross makes a tremendous play here. We run and slide and make a great catch right before the screen, and then the runner tags him first. I don't know if I've ever seen that in the history of my life, that a pop-up behind the plate ends up being a sack fly, right? And then Ross trying to make a play for the team. The throw is a little bit low. It gets off of Rashawn Shin, and then now Stanfield takes third. You always say, well, you should have just held on to it. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but in the moment, you don't think that way. Now, Ross will tell you now, I shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. But you don't expect that to happen. Why would you ever expect that to happen? This is the the potential go-ahead run, and you're going to put him in jeopardy? So, uh, you know, credit Auburn here for kind of an unorthodox play. We kind of magnified things here. But, um, well, then – Pierce flies out to center field, and it's a RBI sack fly to run scores, 2-1. We walk Irish. He goes to second on the wild pitch, and we get uh, where to ground out to third. So, down to our final three outs, trilling by a run. Uh, they bring in Will Cannon. He gets Clark to fly out to left. Bryce Chance pinch hits for Monty Larry. Hadn't seen him in a while. He, he works a base on balls here. And so, now the tying runs aboard with less than two outs. We bring in Aaron Downs as a pinch hitter, and he, it's a one- It's one hopper out there to short, and uh, double play ends the game. But so many opportunities in this ballgame, and they're always magnified when it's a low-scoring game like this. But not a good game for us, and we pitched it exceptionally well. And it's a shame that either of our pitchers had to be saddled with a loss, and unfortunately it was Nate. Nate Dome gets the loss. Kate Smith goes six innings, allows three hits, one run on the solo home run, three walks, six Ks. And just ADA pitches. Maybe could have got him another inning, but I like the decision to go ahead and go to Nate there. And Tommy Vale gets a no decision because five innings pitch and strikes out 10 Bulldog hitters. That's not going to get it done either. Not going to get it done. Will Cannon credited with the save. Looking at offensive numbers, and there weren't much of them here for Mississippi State, but David Marshawn, your leadoff hitter, two for three and a walk. Uh, three, three opportunities to reach base safely from the leadoff hitter. And allow Colton Ledbetter to hit from the stretch. I'll take that every day. Hunter Hines goes 0 for 4 with four Ks. Dakota Jordan 0 for 3 with a pair of Ks and a walk. Luke Hancock is 1 for 4. Swade offered 0 for 4 with a couple strikeouts. Kellum Clark 0 for 3 with a walk. Imani Larry is 0 for 1 but also had a couple of walks. He left a couple on base too. Uh, Bryce Chance works for a walk there. Ross Highfield 0 for 2 with a strikeout. Aaron Downs, of course, uh, 0 for 1, grounds in a double play. So Bulldogs just four hits. So the last two uh, Friday nights combined, we've got seven hits. And it's not like Vale is like some shutdown Friday night guy. I think it's got something to do with us. I don't think you can say, well, it's it's SEC, it's a typical night in the SEC on Friday night. I don't think that's the case. We got to do a better job getting off the bus, ready to play. But they get four hits, too, and they win because of, uh, you know, just a crazy play there. That's baseball sometimes, but the reality of it is, is got to play better baseball. We cannot – and Auburn, worst pitching staff in the conference, and we're probably next to last. But you let them hold you to four hits and, and you lose 2-1. One. one run, you're not going to beat anybody in this league. All right, game two. State has a chance to get even here, and we do, and uh, again – a crazy, crazy deal with our bullpen. I mean, this game should not have been close. It was. And you tell yourself, hey, at the end of the day, it's a dub. But the reality of it is, it's is kind of a harbinger of things to come for the rest of the weekend. All right, Mershon again opens the game by getting on base. Uh, we got a hit by pitch here. Ledbetter strikes out swinging in the midst of all that. Mershon takes second. So, again, you got Hines and Jordan up with a runner in scoring position here in the first inning. A chance to get first blood. Hind flies out to right, Mershon takes third on the tag, and then Jordan grounds out to second. So you three, four hitters again. Opportunity here to do damage, and we don't. Bottom of one, uh, you know, Kobe Holcomb is a bit of a hidden gem for us. I don't know that he gets enough credit, but he comes out there and uh, really does a good job early in this ballgame. We get Stanfield to strike out, Foster flies out to center, and then Pierce grounds out to third. It's a pretty efficient inning there at the first. Top of three, we go one, two, three. Clark strikes out, offered grounds out to short, and Hancock strikes out swinging. Way too much swing and miss in the Bulldog order this weekend. Our bottom of second, we get Irish to ground to second. Where is Walk? And then McMurray homers to right. And what's the crazy about this, and I verified it on yesterday, on an 0 2 count, we catch a little bit too much of the plate here. But McMurray doesn't swing. We fooled him on the pitch. It was strike three. We don't get a call. The next pitch, hits home run. I checked with the track man guy yesterday. Yes, it was a strike. That's happened to us three times this year. Three times this year. Crazy. All right, but Holcomb bounces back. We get Howell to strike out looking and Green to strike out swinging. But uh, offensively, we hadn't done much here, but we're down 2 nothing. Larry with a leadoff walk here, and then Heifel grounds into the double play. That was an issue for us all year, too. And Auburn's a good defensive team. I know their record may not reflect that. Look at the numbers, though. They don't give you a whole lot. They did a little bit on Sunday, but they, didn't, they don't most of the time. Mershon then singles. Advances to second on the error uh, by the pitcher. They're trying to do too much there. And so now, all of a sudden, hey, a runner in scoring position. And then Colton Ledbetter fouls out outside of third. All right, bottom of three, Holcomb gives up a leadoff single to Nate LaRue. Then it's a fly out to right for Stanfield. Foster strikes out swinging. LaRue ends up stealing second. How often do you see that? Pierce Pierce's walked, but we get Irish to strike out swinging. Lengthy at bat there, and Colby wins the war. Top of four, state goes one, two, three. Hines with a case swinging. Jordan pops up to first, and Clark grounds out to third. Bottom of four, still trilling 2 nothing. Holcomb goes back out there, walks a leadoff hitter after a lengthy at-bat. McMurray flies out to left. Howell flies out to right. And Green pops up outside of first. All right, top of five. State needing to find a way to get even here. Offered singles. And then uh, we elect to send him. And listen, Slate's a good athlete, but he's not the most fleet of foot. And he is thrown out at second. It's a short, short field out there in left. And you got to be cognizant of that. A lot of times you hit a ball off the wall in left field. In most parks, it's a for sure double, not at Auburn. Hancock then lines out to right. Larry singles to left. And Heifel flies out to center. But all four balls in the inning were absolutely blistered. We come out in the fifth, and Colby immediately walks uh, Nate LaRue. Again, nine-hole hitter. What are we afraid of? I know he's a senior, but he's a guy who was hitting about $1. twenty coming into the ballgame. What are we afraid of? We bring in Casey Hunt, who was outstanding for much of this ballgame. Casey gets Stanfield to strike out swinging. Foster strikes out swinging, and Pierce flies out the center. Casey had the breaking ball working. All right, top of six, State finally gets through here. They bring in Taylor Bauman in place of uh, Herbert Holtz. Uh, Second consecutive day for Bauman. Mershon flies out to right center, hit the ball well. Ball just stayed up. Ledbetter walks, goes to second on a wild pitch. They walk Hunter Hines, and they bring in John Armstrong for the second consecutive day. He hits Jordan on an 0-2 count, which loads the bases. Kellum Clark hits the ball on the, on the screws right out the center and ends up being RBI sack fly. So now it's a 2-1 ballgame. State on the board, but also a lot left to deal with here. And then Slate Alford hits an absolute tank to left center to give State a 4-2 lead. I mean, you've been frustrated here for five and a half innings and then you finally break through. You get into the bullpen, you begin to do some damage. They bring in Chase Isbell in place of Armstrong, Hancock singles to right, and then Larry, homers, makes it a 6-2 ball game. Heifel hit a ball well, too, just got under a little bit, flies out to left. So 6-2, six-run score in the inning, and you feel like we're in great shape. Bottom of six, Irish pops up to first, Ware lines out to center, and the McMurray strikes out looking. And a, a, a real war between Casey Hunt and McMurray, and K.C. wins it uh, on the K looking. All right, top of seven. They bring in Nelson, a kid. They're really really excited about him. They think that he's the guy that's going to be a dude for them probably next year. And he walks Mershon. Mershon on base again. Ledbetter grounds out the first. Mershon's able to take second. Hines grounds out the second. Mershon takes third. And so, again, a chance for us to get an insurance run. DJ strikes out swinging. Again, not an indictment on DJ. He's been a star for us. Did not have a good weekend. All right, bottom of seven. Howell gets the bunt down kind of break things up a little bit, try to get to KC. it's a fly out to right field. Uh, They pinch hit for LaRue and um, Cam Hill strikes out swinging. Stanfield in singles through the left side, Foster singles through the right side and a run score is 6-3. And now you're thinking, okay, we may be done with KC for for this game. He may have given us all he can give us. You know, he's usually a two-inning guy. But he gets Pierce to strike out swinging. Now it's 6-3. And you're thinking, okay, probably don't bring him back out for the eighth. Probably don't. But... What do you know? State gives you some margin. Kellum Clark hammers the ball to right field, makes it a 7-3 ball game. They walk Slate Offer and decide to bring in Ausup, who is a hard throwing guy that struggles to locate. And first thing he does is a wild pitch. Allows um Offord to move to second. They walks Luke on four pitches. Amani then singles to the left side, and bases are loaded. Rice Heifel comes up and just slaps a single to left, two runs score. Now it's a nine-three ball game. Marshawn strikes out swinging, Ledbetter strikes out swinging, and Hines. And it was somebody who was like, oh, well, the new guy struck out the side. Are you kidding me? Yeah, after he gave up two runs. Come on, give me a break. Three runs, excuse me. Come on, give me, two, give me a break. 9-3. So now you're thinking, hey, let's hey, let's try to steal some outs here with KC. If we could get through this game without having to throw Nate or without having to throw Nixon or without having to burn another arm, this is a good thing for us, right? So we send KC back out for the eighth. Absolutely right decision, and he rewards us with a 1-2-3 inning. Irish grounds out the second. Ware then grounds out the short. McMurray strikes out swinging. Like, hey, this thing might be in the books. Wrong. Top of nine. DJ strikes out looking. Then Clark pops out the right. You think, hey, we're just going to get to the ninth. Maybe KC can get us there. Then they walk Swate Offord and Luke Hancock homers to right center. Now it's 11-3 ball game. Larry grounds out to retire the side there. But we're up eight runs, and even though KC is on fumes, it's absolutely the right decision. And people are like, I don't understand why we didn't give Nixon. Are you Are going to bring Nixon in with an eight-run lead in the night, knowing you're probably going to need him the next day? No, you don't want to do that. Now, my, my concern here is, yeah, I absolutely give KC a hitter, maybe two. But I'm going to have somebody getting loose, whether it be Parker, Stinnett, or Evan Seary, or whoever. I'm going to have somebody out there as an insurance policy. We didn't. And then Howell gets one up in the wind, and the wind pushes it out. If you see the replay of that, Kellum is kind of under it, and the thing is kept carrying. Solo home run, no harm done, right? We're done, it's okay. They bring in Dial, we get him a strikeout swinging, one out. We're a couple pitches away from being done with this. And then there is a, a ground ball. KC rolls up a ground ball. It happened to be more up the middle. Marshawn just can't quite make the play. A lot of shortstops don't even get there. I mean, it does a the somersault there. I mean, the kid's all out. Maximum effort. Infield hit, right? And then Stanfield does the same thing. Just two well-placed balls. Again, KC's rolling up ground balls here. He's gotten the out. Ground ball just had a little bit of bad luck. Kind of some well-placed hits here. Foster did Really gets around on one, singles it to uh, right field, run scores, and then Bobby Pierce doubles to right, another run scores, and uh, now it's 11-6. Irish then hits a slow roller out to second. Imani's playing back in big infield. We can't make a play. It runs scores. So, again, another ground ball there. And, we, and then we have to go get Nixon. And we do. And then we get a line out to second. Then we walk McMurray. And then Howell triples off the left field wall. All three runs score. It's 11-10. The the tying run is now there. And then rather than panic, Nixon works from a 1-0 count and eventually gets a K looking of dial. The pinch hitter that was still in the ballgame. So we win 11-10. It didn't feel like it. Even though you win the ballgame after the way the ninth inning ended, you don't feel like you won the game. But we did. Take a quick look at the box score here. We won the ball game, but i tell you what, again, it felt like we lost. But the series was even. Dave Mershon, one for three, also with the walks on base for uh, multiple times back-to-back games. Colton Ledbetter, 0 for four. Tough weekend for Colton for the most part. Hines, 0 for four again with a pair of strikeouts at six for the weekend. Dakota Jordan, also 0 for four with a pair of strikeouts. Kellum Clark, one for four with a couple RBIs. Had the big big fly there. Slate off for a pretty big ball game for him. Two for three, the big fly to kind of get us going. Hancock, two for four. We also switched Kellum Clark and Luke Hancock. They both responded. Amani Larry, three for four down in the eight hole there. That's a nice productive day for him. A couple of RBIs and a run scored. Ross Highfield, one for four with that uh, two RBI slap. Made a big difference. But pitching-wise, a pretty decent job here up until the ninth. We'd managed it really well. Colby Holcomb, four innings pitch, two hits, two runs five Ks, four walks, and KC outstanding for four innings. And then uh, they kind of got to him there. We Again, the mistake there is just not having somebody ready. Nixon gets the last two outs for the save there with the tying run uh, at third. State scores 11 runs on 10 hits, walked seven times in the ball game, struck out nine times. That's still a little bit high for us. We had 13 Ks of Auburn hitters, so felt pretty good about that. So now we get into Sunday, and uh, we knew that Auburn didn't have anything left, really. We knew that if we could get in, get into their bullpen, we had a chance to really get some separation in the ballgame. That's exactly what happens. However, State not able to get things done on the mound. Pretty good effort from Durangelo Sanjay, though. Mershon opens up again with a walk here to open the ballgame. Ledbetter pops up to the catcher. Hans flies out to left. And then D.J. singles back up the middle, moving Marshawn to second. So first hit of the weekend for D.J. Kellum Clark then singles to the left side. They misplay it in the outfield. Stanfield overruns it. It gets to the wall. Two-run score. Offered then walks after a lengthy at-bat there. And we talk about elevating the pitch count. A 13 pitched at-bat here for Slade Offord, and then he walks. So you throw 13 pitches and don't get the benefit of an out. Hancock then flies out to center field. Our right, bottom of one. Stanfield case swinging. Foster strikes out swinging. Pierce singles sharply back up the middle. Then Iris singles up the middle. And you think, here we go again, but we get a pop-up to the shortstop and navigate through that and survive the first inning with a 2-0 lead there. Top of second. State gets more separation in the game. Larry flies out to left. They walk Rice Highfield, who's still second. How many catchers do you know that are routinely stealing bases? Not Benny. Mershon strikes out swinging. Then Ledbetter walks. And they have to get Crouchfield out of the ball game. I'm told it... it Appears to be a back injury, not an arm injury. And uh, Nate LaRue, an experienced catcher, just saw something the was right. They call the trainers out. They lift him, bring in Will Cannon. The first guy that he faces is Hunter Hines, who hits a home run to right center, his first hit of the weekend. Makes it a 5 ball game. And as I tweeted out, you can only keep the bull in the barn for so long. Jordan then singles to the left side. It's so two 2-for-2 two on the day for DJ. Goes second on a wild pitch. Clark then gets an infield single. Jordan takes third. It's 5 nothing, and the chance here to expand the lead offered is then um, out first base to second base to first base. That's the ball that uh, McMurray ranges off the bag it bounces off his glove and goes immediately to second baseman. Just some bad luck there. Run would have scored on the play and would have extended the inning. But it's 5 nothing, bottom of second, and Gerangelo really calms down here. We get a fly out to center from McMurray. Howell lines out to right, then Green strikes out swinging, we're right back in the dugout and right back to doing damage. Hancock pops up the short. Larry punt, uh, bunts right back to the pitcher. So two outs, and then State puts together a little uh, little rally here. Heifel, nice and bat here, gets the walk. And Dave Mershon comes through with a single to the left side. Heifel takes third. Runners on the corners with two outs. Ledbetter comes through with a double to left field. And this is the one, too, where the ball is lost in the sun. So Stanfield, tough day defensively here, just couldn't find it. The ball drops, two-run score, and then Hind strikes out swinging, again with the runner in scoring position. But it's 7 nothing, and we feel like we're cruising. I'm telling the Auburn media, uh, don't give up just yet. I wanted to feel good about the ball game, but I didn't. I said, okay, we'll, we'll keep scoring because we know that bullpen is on fumes. Bottom of third – Gerangelo cruising here. We get a fly out from route to right field. Stanfield strikes out swinging. Foster strikes out swinging. Very efficient inning there for Gerangelo. Bulldogs right back in in the dugout and swinging away. DJ strikes out swinging on three pinches. And then Kellum Clark singles to left. Offer flies out the center and Hancock flies out to left. So Kellum doing his part to move the order along there. But for the first time on the day, the Bulldogs don't score. Our bottom of four, Pierce flies out to right. Irish gets an infield single, and then Ware singles to the right side. Runners at first and second. And then McMurray, similar situation here. We get ahead in the count, one, two, leave a ball up, and it's a three-run home run. Auburn suddenly back in the ball game. It felt like State had the entire game in hand, the crowd sitting on their hands. This got them back in the ballgame. And three sellout crowds there, Plains and Park. Howell grounds out the second. Then we walk green. LaRue then singles back up the middle. And we get you know, a chance here for Auburn to really climb back into it. But we settle down here and get a strike out of Stanfield uh, to kind of keep it where it was. So four-run lead for State. We answer back here in the fifth. Larry opens with a double down left field line. Heifel then walks. Mershon gets a sack bunt down, moves the runners along here. And uh, he's out. So, it's a productive at bat, even though he didn't reach safely. Heifel then goes to third on a pass ball, 8-3. Heifel then scores, uh, On excuse me, Larry scores, and then Heifel scores. So, back-to-back pass balls. So, the Auburn defense doing some things to help us here. Of course, they over Stanfield overruns the ball early in the ball game. And then one run is going to score anyway, gives us another one. And then on a routine fly ball to left, he loses it. And then here you have an experienced catcher back-to-back pass ball. So we get those runs home without the benefit of a hit. Ledbetter grounds out the first unassisted, and then Hines doubles to left field. His second hit of the weekend uh, would have gotten the runs home. They bring in Copeland in place of Cannon. But it's a 9-3 ball game. And he gets Jordan to fly out to left on a 2-0 count. So we were up 7 then. Now we're up 6, and you feel like, okay, we've kind of restored things the way they should be. And Gerangela comes back out and deals in the fifth. Foster lines out to second. Pierce flies out to second. Irish flies out to left. And some other people were like, hey, we should have pulled him here. I don't know why we would have pulled him here, to be quite honest with you. He's rolling. People are like, oh, they had a couple of, hit a ball, couple balls hard. I mean, yeah, but it's, it's a six run lead here. And if you could steal an out here and get one more inning out of him, you feel really good about it. You do. It didn't work out for us. And immediately people say, "Well, we mismanaged this opportunity." I just don't know if I agree with that. Our right, top of six, there goes one, two, three. Clark pops up to third. offered, grounds out to short. Hancock then flies out to center field. Our right, bottom of six, uh, Ware singles to right, and then McMurray homers down the left field line, hits a foul pole up there. I mean, you know, six inches the other way, it's a different deal. And then we go ahead and pull him. And we bring in Tyson Harden, who gets his strikeout swinging of Howell. Then he walks Green. Wild pitch, and then LaRue, again, the nine-hole hitter that's done nothing. <laughs> Homers to left center, makes it a 9-7 ball game. Crazy, two home runs in the inning. Stanfield gets on a throwing error here, but a shortstop. Takes second as the ball goes out of play. Foster grounds out to third on a sack bunt, and then Pierce strikes out swinging. So, bad inning for us, could have been much worse. We're able to escape with the lead. Top of seven, and this is what happens when you stop scoring in games like this. You typically lose. Uh, second consecutive inning, uh, Stegos goes one, two, three. That's rough. Larry flies out to left. Heifel flies out to center. Mershon flies out to right. I thought Mershon's ball might get down, but they run it down up there in right field. I would bring in Grandma Eintima here in the seventh. I questioned the decision then. I questioned the decision now. Eintima... May be a great guy. He had a, a wonderful appearance against Arizona State, but ever since then it has been uh, an adventure, shall we say. So we walk the first guy we see, then we hit where on the first pitch. Niner's runs at first and second, so time runs are on base. McMurray, uh, the big hitter here, we get an, a called strike and then we hit him too. So we throw two strikes to three hitters and the bases are loaded with nobody out. We bring in Nate. Nate Dome comes in, and uh, I told Jason uh, when we sat down there, um, I said, listen, you're probably going to get a run here because Nate's a fly ball pitcher. He's a strikeout fly ball guy, so you probably at least get a run here on the RBI sack fly. And sure enough, Howell flies out to left. The run scores – and uh, Ware takes third there. And then we hit Green with the pitch and a 1-0 count to load the bases again. But we get back-to-back strikeouts. Nate LaRue strikes out looking. Stanfield strikes out swinging. So again, we navigate through this. And the fact that we only gave, gave up one run here is a testament to the competitiveness of one Nate Dome. He was given an impossible situation and allows just one run. Pretty remarkable effort. So we escape with the lead again. We answer here in the eighth. Ledbetter doubles down the right field line and then goes to third on an error by the right fielder. He just kind of couldn't, couldn't get the handle on it, and the ball rolls in the corner there. So Heinz up and Jordan up with a chance to elevate here. You're thinking, just give me a routine fly ball to center field, and we've got to run. But we get back-to-back strikeouts. And then Callum Clark comes up on the very first pitch, takes it the other way. Really good day for Kellum Clark. The run scores. It's 10-8. Now you've got some margin for error. Slater Offered flies out to right field, but you feel like, okay, now one swing can't tie us. And that's so hard to pitch, right? When when there's one pitch, you're one pitch away. Now they got to get at least a couple, a couple of successful at bats here. And against Nate, sometimes it's difficult to do. He gets Foster to strike out swinging awkwardly too. Pearson singles back up the middle, and then Irish doubles to left, and then Ware homers to left field. And this was a very first pitch fastball. He's sitting dead red. And that's it. That's it for Nate. And I like Nate Dome a lot. Met his dad. Had a lot of interactions with Nate. Nobody cares more than that kid. And to watch him have to walk, walk off that mound, knowing that our prospects are making a regional likely walk with him, and it's nobody's fault. It's one of those things, it's, it's about pitching, especially high-velocity pitching. It's a ticking time bomb sometimes. Now we're down in this ball game, 11-10. Bring in Nixon, we get a walk there, and then we get a fly out to center, and then Green strikes out swinging. So we're down one, headed to the ninth. We have no momentum in this ballgame. And I go back to the fact that we lost the juice in this game when we brought Graham Einzum in. Even though we still had the lead and even though we'd made some big pitches, we bring in Einzema and we immediately gift them the bases loaded. Could have been much worse. But that got the Auburn people thinking, hey, we got a chance here. And they did. They took advantage of it in the eighth. All right, top of nine, Hancock grounds out the first. They're feeling it. And then Amani Larry, give him a lot of credit here, doubles off the left field wall there. Now the tying run is in scoring position and a chance to do some damage here. We bring in Aaron Downs, who flies out to center, and then we tag and take third. So the tying run is now at third with two outs in a ninth. And Mershon, again, this is where speed impacts the game, but maybe he doesn't show up in the box score. He hits a hard-hit ground ball right at the third baseman. And you know you got to hurry. He knocks it down, but then he can't find it. And so Larry scores, and Marshawn reaches first without a throw. It's a top ball game, and, and that's what losing teams do, right? Losing teams find a way to lose. And you felt like, hey, we have given the game back to them. They're giving it back to us. Ledbetter pops up the short. It's 11-11 going to bottom of nine. The very first thing we do is Nixon hits Nate LaRue. Again, nine-hole hitter, even though he had a decent day on Sunday. Guy hadn't done anything. He hit him with the pitch. So now the, the winning run is on base without the benefit of a hit. Zach bunt, pushed him to second. They pinch run. And then Cole Foster, who had basically done nothing all weekend, rips a double in the right center. The run scores. We lose the game, the series, and likely the season. Running through the box score here. We, you know, we had some guys who showed up and played well offensively. You know, Marshawn just won for four with the walk there, but uh, also that hard-hit ball in the ninth to get the run home. Ledbetter goes two for five, his best game of the weekend, two RBI, nothing bigger than that double. Hunter Hines, two for five with three RBIs, also the big home run there. Dakota Jordan, two for five. Uh, one run scored, no RBIs, a couple punches. And then Kellum Clark goes four for five. He seems to be really happy in the five-hole spot. I don't think Kellum cares where he hits. He's hit up and down the order, but uh, him protecting Dakota Jordan and having the weekend that he's having, I think that that serves the top of the order really well. Kellum Clark, one of his better games this year, four or five, two RBIs, and probably none bigger than that two-out hit there uh, to, to push that insurance run across. Slade offered 0 for 4, Luke Hancock 0 for 5. Luke had a good game uh, earlier in the weekend, not so much on Sunday. Amani Larry, 2 for 5. And I'm still waiting for Amani to put one of those big games together. You know, it's been a while. Ross Haifa goes 0 for 1, but has three walks and scores three runs. That's just moving the order along. Uh, Looking at pitching here, Gerangelo, again, gave us a winning effort. And, uh, again, you you probably stayed a little bit too long. Just because you wanted to try to steal some outs. And, of course, he gives up that two-run jack uh, to kind of pull them back into the ballgame. But eight hits, five runs, six strikeouts, just the one walk. We only walked four hitters on the day. Tyson Harden, one-inning pitch, one hit, two runs, and gives up a home run. Uh, Graham Einsema does not retire a hitter and is charged with one run but has two hit pitches and a walk. Nate, uh, one and a third innings pitch, three hits, three runs, all in that home run, three strikeouts, no walks, and then Aaron Nixon uh, gets the loss. The hit-by-pitch, significant there. One hit, one run, the one walk. 19 pitches for him. But uh, they threw it 171 times. They threw it 176. Connor Copeland, the guy that has, uh, has kind of fallen down the depth chart there in the bullpen is credited with the win. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid. That was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on have our chaps, our vest, and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's Objective Finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate?
1: But this, this intimate thing, and again, I don't want to target a player or anything, but, um, I just don't think that he is prepared for high leverage innings in a Southeastern conference. That's just, you know, and, and I don't think it's just, Hey, it's just one weekend, Steve. No, no. And I want to run this down too. And again, I, I, I first guessed it. Cause I just felt like, you know what? I don't understand. Maybe the attraction at this point, if that makes sense. And, um, I just don't think that he is a guy at this point that you can consider a guy you can trust on SEC weekends. And that may be a bit harsh, but that's that's how I see it. I'm, I'm sure many of you feel the same way. But, uh, you know, looking at Graham here, you know, so he uh, – his first appearance in relief allows uh, two runs on five hits against VMI, has a good – Appearance against uh, Louisiana Monroe. And of course, we end up winning that VMI game. Louisiana Monroe, we win that game 14 3, one inning pitch, allows just the one hit. Arizona State, he had some first inning trouble, but he bounced back from it. He goes five innings and is credited with the win and a 5 1 decision. Six strikeouts, no walks. So now all of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, I kind of see what they're seeing here in this guy. We go against Oklahoma. He starts and uh, is really good the first couple of innings, and things blow up there in the third. Ends up allowing seven runs on five hits, five walks, uh, a season high for him. In a ball game that we didn't play well on the on the defensive side, offensively we scored a bunch of runs. You think you better win a ball game like that? We we scored nine runs, we lose fifteen to nine against Lipscomb. Uh, he goes five and a third and uh, kind of settles himself down a little bit. Hit three runs on three hits, uh, three walks and five strikeouts. Walks just appear to be part of the experience. Kentucky, he doesn't retire a hitter, allows four runs on one hit, three walks in the game, and that's a start. That was his last start. Against Vanderbilt, he goes a third of an inning, uh, doesn't allow anything. Comes back the next day against Vanderbilt, two days later against Vanderbilt, gets a th- goes a third of an inning, allows three runs on one hit, also has a walk, allows a home run, has a hit by pitch. Samford, he goes two innings, allows uh, one run on no hits, but two walks in the ball game. South Carolina, he lasted third of an inning. One hit, three runs, uh, a double, a triple, and a home run. Uh, that was against Ole Miss, actually. Yeah, so South Carolina did okay there. Uh, no, I guess it, technically he didn't. Just didn't give up any extra base hits. And against Ole Miss, he goes two innings pitched, four hits, three runs, uh, a double, triple, and a home run. And then against Auburn, he doesn't retire a hitter. And just, again – he may be a guy that can help us in the midweek. And maybe he's a guy next year that will make a jump and could be a guy we can count on on the, uh, on the weekend. I just question the decision. And the fact that we got out of there, again, just a line one run is a big deal. I just think that was a bad decision. And I think that really cost us a lot of momentum in the ballgame. Uh, so we lose a series. And there's a lot more to talk about, for sure. But uh, we lose the series. And um, really it's put us behind the eight ball. Our backs are against the wall right now. We'll see how things go the rest of the way, but I'm not overly optimistic, at least. Our time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Blair Chandler is my friend, your friend, a friend to everybody in need. Blair is the guy that works in the mortgage loan origination business. 22 years of experience, back-to-back-to-back years, and top 1% close ratio in the country. And that's not just in uh, Rankin County. That's the United States of America. You need to have a winner with a wealth of experience working for you. Your mortgage is too important to entrust to some fly-by-night company. Blair's the guy that works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage loan origination. If you mentioned to Blair, you heard about him on the yard. He's going to pay for your appraisal, and he closes multiple yard loans a year. Because you guys understand, many people are thinking, hey, what can we do? We need to consolidate some debt. We need to get some cash out. We need to buy a home. And I don't really know anybody. What, what do I do? Do I just go into my local bank and, and hope for the best? Well, maybe you can. But rather than guess, stick with a winner like Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And again, tell him you heard about him on the bond yard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. About a $500 value. How cool is that? All right. I uh, searched the archives today, and I reached out to Roy and uh, pushed a couple of bands across from him. And I said, hey, have we ever done Warrant? And we haven't done Warrant, which is a shame. So we're going to rectify that today with our top 10 list on Warrant. I got a bit of a connection with this band. We'll talk about that later in the, uh, in the list here. But uh saw Warrant open for Molly Crew on the Dr. Feelgood Tour in the Jackson Coliseum. Came back uh, a little over a year later and saw them headlining the Cherry Pie Tour with Trickster and Firehouse. How cool was that? And then uh, saw them play with uh, Bar 7 and some other bands, Rat at the Texas Club and Baton Rouge, which is always part of our story a little bit later. So here are my top 10 Warren songs. There actually is a Greatest Hits album out there. And all of these songs appear on that album. All right, number 10, a song that maybe uh, you're not quite as familiar with. It's one that I like. It's a, it's a good timing song. It uh, sure feels good to me. Really good, up-tempo uh, good driving song. I think Janny does a really good job on um, delivery there, on um, the vocal delivery. Number nine, off the Cherry Pie album, probably a sneaky favorite of mine. It didn't have the um, maybe the radio appeal that some of the other songs did, but the composition of this song is incredible. The chorus is great. Janie is great. Joey Allen does a really good job on the song, too. Uh, it's Mr. Rainmaker. And uh, don't waste your time because I've got a girl that's permanent sunshine. It's like, you know what, I'm in love with this girl and there's nothing in the world that could ever slow me down or make me think less about my life. It's a very positive song about love. Number eight, a song that's negative about love. There's a lot of rumors out there about who this song is about. Also off the cherry pile, I mean, it was a huge hit too. A song called I Saw Red where he caught his girlfriend cheating on him red-handed. He says, uh, you know... I didn't even need to see his face because I saw yours. Then I turned and closed the door. Yeah, I saw red. So again, it's a play on the words there, but uh, I saw red about being angry, or whatever. But I saw red, a song about a breakup, kind of a heartbreaking song. And Warren had some huge power ballads in the power ballad era for sure. Number seven, another great one, another ballad that was a huge hit on MTV. It's uh, "Sometimes She Cries." And that's from the Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinkin' Rich album. That's a debut album from Warren, which is outstanding. Start to finish. But sometimes she cries when she's alone at night. And Janie, I don't know that it's ever sounded better. Tremendous vocal performance. Number six, this wasn't the big hit that a lot of other songs on these earlier few albums were. But it's one that I really like. And uh, Jerry Dixon does a great job on the bass line here. And I almost considered Colin Flim Flam. The title of the song it didn't work though i wanted to do it but i decided no flim flim works better but it's big talk and it's you know basically about uh you know a lot of people talk a lot of trash right they they talk trash it's big talk but big talk is just talk unless you're backing it up we're backing it up big talk great tune uh, I, I wish more people would play this on the radio because it's, it's Warrant has kind of gotten pigeonholed into this whole thing too where everybody just plays like the same two or three songs. But Big Talk is a good one. Number five from the Doggy Dog album, which was the third album in the catalog. Uh, Quadrophenia was was a decent album, but it, you know Warrant was beginning to kind of lose her luster a little bit. But the Doggy Dog came out... Right around the same time, it's right in '92, I guess. Right around the time that Alice in Change Dirt came out, and I read an interview with Jenny Lane. It's when he knew music was changing, when um, when Cherry Pie came out. Like they went to have like the pre-release meeting with the record company, and they walk in, and behind the receptionist is the Cherry Pie album cover, like it's a big you know movie type poster, or whatever. And when they went for Doggy Dog. Eat Dog Rather than have Warren's Doggy Dog up there, they had Alice and Chain's Dirt, yeah. So things were changing. So Warren was no longer the the big deal for the record company because music was changing, and uh, they were throwing a lot more promotion behind Allison Chains. And that was one of the things too that kind of led to the change, uh, the Janie and Warren leaving the label, is because the promotion for the Doggy Dog album, uh, the money behind promoting that album just wasn't what it was for the first two albums. Things changed. But the album's still good. Number four, uh, back to the beginning. This was the second single, if I'm not mistaken, the second single off the "Dirty Rod and Filthy Thinking, Rich" album. It's a song called "Heaven." You know, it opens up. You know, got a picture of your house. You're standing by the door. It's black and white and faded. It's looking pretty worn. Janie Lane is a poet, or was a poet, and an incredible songwriter too. He knows how to elicit emotion from his listeners, and this is one of those songs too. That um, again, it's about being in love it is and jenny was a super sweet guy man he really was which brings me to number three on the list i have two warrant tattoos for those of you that are wondering and uh your number three song is one of those your number two song is the other so i may have shared this with you i think i have but i'll i'll share it again because it's, it's worth talking about so uh, years ago, Warren was playing down in Baton Rouge, and a friend of mine hit me up and said, Hey, it's a friend of mine that went to church at Meade. It was part of a sober recovery group. I won't mention his name on Protect Their Anonymity. And he said, Hey, would you like to come uh, meet Janie Lane? I said, I'd love to meet Janie Lane. And he said, Well, it's not really like a meet and greet deal. Uh, Janie's talking about getting sober, and uh, you're the most sober person that I know. And I think because you've been a rocker and a fan of the band, it might be well received. And uh, I said, Sure, I'm happy to come down there. And uh, I had a chance to talk to him for a little bit. In the beginning, it was kind of like, hey, glad you're a fan of the band, whatever. Uh, but I usually have a way. Um, if you've seen my wife, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, very, I'm a very good talker. Um, otherwise, she'd probably be with somebody else. Uh, but I've been doing this so long in recovery. You know, I know how to ask the questions to get people talking. And you know, that's the thing, too. You, you kind of get somewhere private. And people that usually are burdened with pain deep down or dying and talk about it and so uh had a chance to spend a few minutes with him I'm not going to share a lot of that because it's personal right um and I don't I know that I didn't get it all right but uh he was a guy that was really struggling with a lot and uh used alcohol to kind of medicate himself he was always a guy who wanted to have a good time and uh you know he's always a good looking guy when I saw him in Baton Rouge of course he put on some weight he was suffering some from alcohol bloat But he still had a great heart, man. He did. You know, he married a girl from South Louisiana, and so he'd have a chance to come back and play South Louisiana every now and again. Bobby Brown is uh, from Baton Rouge. And so a lot of people uh, turn out and go see the show, and um, Louisiana was a special place to him. But it also, uh, you know, brought up some bad memories. It did. You know, it did. I mean, he was married to, at the time – Considered the most beautiful woman in the world. That didn't work out. They uh, did get some some kids that he was very very proud of out of the the union. And um, but he was a sad guy. He really was. And uh, my honest opinion, and of course this is not anything that he said, but it's kind of based on some things that he said. I formed his opinion. It's like, you know, he went from playing sold out arenas now to playing clubs. And kind of being viewed as a nostalgia act. And uh, I think he had a lot of pride in his ability and uh, his songwriting ability and his talent. And I think he felt like that maybe life hadn't been fair to him. And um, maybe there's some truth in that. But the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, things change in life. That the only constant thing in life is change. And uh, none of us stay on top forever. Right. I mean, I would love the fact that I hadn't written a book in two years. I'd love for the fact that uh, I'd still have a number one book, but I don't. You know, you got to produce things that people want. Right. I mean, that's how life works. You can't get so caught up in your own artistic vision, you know, and say, hey, well, this is how I'm going to do it. You can't get arrogant in that respect. I'm not suggesting that he did. But none of us stay on top for long. You got to appreciate what what you have while you have it. Uh, and so that was my interaction with Janie. And then, I don't know, maybe two years later, maybe a little bit later than that, maybe a few years later, a friend of mine calls me, the same friend, and said, Hey, will you call Janie? And I said, Well, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and recovery is kind of a program of attraction rather than promotion. I said, I'll Tell you what, I'll give you, you know, you give him my number and have him call me when he's ready to talk. And he goes, Listen, Steve, I know you're a big traditionalist in this kind of stuff. He goes, But the situation's in really bad shape. He said, I need you, I need you to call him. And so I did, and he didn't call back. And um, I don't know, it's one of those things that kind of haunts me a little bit. Uh, my friend told me that things had gotten so bad with Jenny's alcoholism that when he would go out, he would have like a note in his pocket that said, if found, call this number. It had like his name and contact information, and whatever. And that's how bad his alcoholism was. And he was looking to escape uh, the pain in his life. As best he could and he tried to do that in bottle and i can tell you from experience things never get any better it's a progressive illness you never get back to where you were the downward spiral continues and so i called him and left a message and he didn't call back and um Yeah, it's one of those things, I guess it's some narcissistic belief, you know, where you think, well, maybe I should have said this or should have said that, but there are just some people you can't reach despite your best intentions. It's got nothing to do with me. And it wasn't long after that that uh, our friend Janie Lane was uh, checked into a Best Western Motel in Beverly Hills by some fans after a long night of drinking, and He died. He died a lonely man by himself in a budget hotel room, and he deserved a lot better. He did. It is a cautionary tale. And you begin to think about how huge Warren was, and of course, you know, he's married to Bobby Brown, and, you know, the girl from the Cherry Pie video. Everything is great. They're on top of the world making a ton of money. Everything is great. But all of that is fleeting, and eventually he lost all of that. He lost all the things that he held dear except for his children. And um, and so your number three song is Down Boys. And uh, I don't know, it hit me some time ago about how profound that interaction with Jenny Lane has been on my life, right? It's, it's such a reminder that no matter what you accomplish in life, you still have to live life on life's terms. You still have the same problems that everybody else does. And uh, when you live in the public I, like he does, it's all more magnified, right? I mean, you can't go out and make a mistake without making the paper, right? And so uh, Down Boys was a big deal. And uh, so on my knuckles, I have Down Boys, and it's for Janie. I got a cherry pie tattoo as well, but uh, that's part of a sleeve. But I wanted that kind of on my knuckles because I wanted to have the opportunity to tell that story because it has made a very profound impact on me that somebody that talented and that successful could still have the same afflictions that I do. And it reminds me, no matter what I accomplish in life, I have to take care of me. I got to take care of my recovery, my sobriety. And so the Down Boys thing was always like, if you listen to the song, you know, I want to go where the Down Boys go. Well, you know, it's almost, like, it's almost like we're a club, and now we've got a logo. And so I love Jannie Lane, I do, and I wish I could have been more help. I don't beat myself up about that, but anytime time that I listen to Warrant, I'm always reminded of that you know, few minutes that I was able to talk to him and try to share some experience, strength, and hope. I gave him my number. I don't even know if he ever put it in his phone. But I know this. I know that a lot of people love that guy, and I know that he loved a lot of people, and um, just had a tough time kind of reconciling the fact that the, uh, you know, the, the big day and the sun was over in many respects. Life changed. And he had difficulty with that. And uh, again, I I love Janie and uh, reached out to his sister some time ago and um, shared the interaction with him. And uh, this past year on Janie's birthday, I found uh, his oldest daughter and sent her a message, and uh, she responded and was very grateful. And uh, basically along the lines of she said, every, every year around his birthday, I'm reminded of what my dad meant to so many people. And she said, it means so much that people care enough about him that they would want to reach out and provide me some comfort on a very difficult day. And uh, so I I consider those things. You know, we see these people sometimes and they're superstars and we think to ourselves, they're not real people that have real families and they're not robots, okay? They're people that um, have the same challenges in life that we do in many respects and in many cases, much more than we do. All right, number two, it's cherry pie. Some of you would have that number one including my wife, Uh, I think it's a little overplayed, but it is a tremendous song. And, of course, it's uh, filled with sexual innuendo. If you watch that video, it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you could produce that today. It's so funny we say that sometimes. It's like, oh, you couldn't do that today, but, you know, people are so open now about, you know, quote, keeping it real, you know, don't infringe on my right to be as uh, weird as I want to be. But uh, Cherry Pie, obviously a very risque video with a beautiful girl, Bobby Brown, and uh, I actually met her before Janie Lane did. How about that? When I was with Savello, I actually met her at a bar called Sports Illustrated in Baton Rouge. True story. But Cherry Pie, a great anthemic song of the hair metal movement of the uh, mid-late 80s, early 90s. Number one for me, and it's a song that they played one of the first times ever in Jackson, Mississippi. And we all were there together. And I remember when Janie said, Hey, you guys want to hear a new song? And the place went nuts and they absolutely hammered this thing down. And I could not wait for the new album to be released so I could go possess this song and listen to it whenever I wanted to. It is number one for me. Uh, his brother David, I believe is his name, actually wrote the um, intro. It's a great story about a, a kind of a crazy story. Um, Don't know how true it is, but uh, it made for an entertaining song, and it's Uncle Tom's Cabin. And if you were at the show with us when they opened for Motley, you were one of the first crowds ever to hear that song uh, played live in its entirety. But Uncle Tom's Cabin, we know who put the bodies in the wishing well. Great song, great, great song. Musically, I think they're best. I really do. And to me, like a lot of people, they see Warrant and they think, hey, this is the cherry pie. They're kind of like the poor man's version of Poison. I, I like them better than Poison. And one of the reasons why is because of the fact I think there is a little more authenticity in their music. It's not just about nothing but a good time. Even though it's a great song, don't get me wrong, I just feel like there's a lot more substance in the Warrant music. And uh, they're still touring today. Matter of fact, they'll be, I guess, May 18th down in New Orleans. My friends in and Axe are opening up. Uh, for Warrant. So if you're down there in New Orleans, go out and see Warrant and uh, support our, our buddies, uh, Brent and Steve and Sam and Wayne and Mike and Lily and Axe. Uh, they were willing to come up here and play a show for us in Starkville. I'll always be grateful to them for that. But uh, if you get, again, you get out and go, a chance to go see one of these bands, you never know how long they're going to tour. You never know when they're going to call it quits. And I wish, uh, man, I wish I'd been able to see that. You want to know a good time for me, man? Like when I, I, I could, I go to a show especially one of these uh, 80s rock bands and all of a sudden nothing else really matters for like for a couple of hours I can kind of be who I want to be right and I have to think about all the things I got to do the business ventures I got to be a part of but for a while I can just be a kid for a little bit I can be reminded of a simpler time in life and so I encourage you to go out whether you're going for the nostalgia or for the new material uh, get out and go support these bands before they stop touring because you never know you never know when it's all going to end but that's our top 10 warrant list. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find me on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR. And you can find Roy on Twitter, at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can follow our great list on Spotify also, or the Dogmatic67 channel. Be sure and give that a follow. All right, time to uh, look around the league. This, this uh, portion of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. I love Campus Bookmark. I have spent a lot of money at Campus Bookmark. I have, and this, number one, it's because they have what I want, right? There are a lot of places you go shop around, you kind of got to talk yourself into getting something. When I need Mississippi State merchandise, I go directly to Campus Bookmark because I know exactly what I'm going to get there. I'm going to get quality merchandise at a quality price. I'm going to get great service. Go buy and see their smiling faces the next time you're in town. If you can't make it to town, perhaps you're living in the mission field, reach them on campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. I tell you this we got a closet full of Mississippi State merchandise here. You see me, it's always Concert Church, right? You know, sometimes I got to go speak at Mississippi State functions. I got some Marina White gear, too. I love the fact that I can go in there and get a nice quality Mississippi State Polo at Campus Bookmark, And I know that, number one, it's going to be service after the sale, right? I understand that if I go up there and there's a problem, it's not, not like buying online from somebody else. You know, I'm buying from people that care about me and care about Mississippi State. So go buy and check them out today, campusbookmart.net. Again, promo code BSR. All right, a wild weekend in the Southeastern Conference. It seems to always be the case. It's always interesting to me, uh, you know, what happens and what you get excited about and all the things that, um, you know, we think are going to happen. And this weekend, some, several things happened that we weren't expecting, including your good friend and host. So, you know, looking back real quick here at the, uh, the weekend that was, you know, we discussed the Thursday games. You know, Georgia won, beat Arkansas in the first game you know in South Carolina beat Florida in the first game we're thinking hey these guys are going for the uh, you know for the series as they get into Friday and so let's start with Friday's action which was April 21st it's crazy how fast this year is going by the AM kentucky game was postponed to a doubleheader on Saturday tennessee down to their last out Comes back, forces extra innings against Vanderbilt. They win a game 4-3. Walk it off. Huge win. Georgia takes the series from Arkansas 7-3 in game two. Didn't expect that. South Carolina took Florida. I thought that would probably be a split. But pretty impressive, right? Mississippi State, of course, loses to Auburn 2-1 on Friday. Alabama 6-4 winners. Uh, over Missouri, and LSU, 7-3 winners over Ole Miss. And give Ole Miss some credit. I mean, they, they hung in there and fought, but they uh, not a good weekend. All right, we get into Saturday, which was the uh, final final games for a couple series, but Tennessee, Tennessee 17-1 over Vanderbilt, the 10-run rule deal. It happens to everybody. You think it has happens to us, it's happened to everybody. Probably an article in there somewhere, right? Uh, How the uh, new 10-run rule was impacted play in the Southeastern Conference. Georgia wraps up the sweep of Arkansas, 9-8. Did you see how this thing ended? Maybe you didn't. Arkansas enters the ninth with an 8-4 lead. Georgia hits a grand slam to tie it. And then the next pitch is a solo shot to walk it off. So five runs... In the ninth, Georgia sweeps Arkansas and puts themselves right back in the thick of things. A&M takes game one against uh, Kentucky 6-3. South Carolina completes the sweep of Florida. LSU beats uh, Ole Miss 8-4. State wins 11-10 over Auburn, of course, and then Alabama 10-4 winners over Missouri. And then A&M gets the second game, so they sweep a doubleheader against Kentucky 8-7, uh, your final. Pretty crazy stuff. And we knew that would probably be a you know, split-type series. But the Aggies, maybe they're getting better. All right, Tennessee, 10-5 winners on Sunday to sweep Vanderbilt. Number four Vanderbilt was swept. They entered a weekend 29-8 and and 13-2 and in the conference. It's crazy. In Missouri wins three games beginning of the year to sweep Tennessee and probably won't win 10 games in the conference. Kentucky rallies back on Sunday – uh, to, to take an 8-1 lead. Uh, they're now 11-7, and 7, and again, I still say three wins away from making the NCAA tournament. Kentucky's still 30-9, and 9, but uh, you know, losing that series to Georgia looks a better in hindsight, but it's a series they should have won. But give a and some credit. a and goes into Lexington and wins two out of three. It's so difficult to win on the road in this conference. Of course, Auburn 12-11 winners over Mississippi State. Uh, Alabama closes out the sweep. 3-2 to two over Missouri. And then LSU breaks Ole Miss's heart. Of course, Ole Miss had uh, lost the first two ballgames. They go into the ninth with a two-run lead. After a home run in the eighth, gave them the advantage. They needed just three outs to get home. Uh, Mitch Morrell comes in. Next thing you know, there's two on. And then a one-two count on pinch hitter Hayden Stravinsky. And he homers into left field, into the LSU uh, bullpen. They come out and they close it out. So LSU with a three-game sweep. Insanity, man. Absolute insanity on the weekend. And, you know, again, we, we felt like LSU had a really good chance to sweep, as they should. Give all Miss some credit for hanging in there. But a loss is a loss. There are our moral victories in college baseball. just didn't work that way. All right, so here are your standings as of right now. South Carolina, 13-4, and four, now the best record in the conference. They are now the leaders for the SEC championship. Vanderbilt dropped to 13 and 5. Of course they're even in a win column, but because South Carolina and OSU didn't play game 3, that winning percentage factor could play a real big deal for South Carolina. Kentucky now 11 and 7, tied with Florida at 11-7. Tennessee now 8 and 10. Pretty crazy. Georgia now 7 and 11, Missouri 5 and 13. That's important for state because as of right now, your Bulldogs are 12th in the seedings for Hoover. As of now, Missouri and Ole Miss would be out. The difference is Ole Miss has a much easier schedule in May than Mississippi State does. All right, look at your SEC West, LSU back on top 12 and 5. Arkansas, of course, after being swept by Georgia, Arkansas had it all within their reach. They get swept. They're now 11 and 7. Alabama sweeps Missouri. They're now 9 and 9. AM wins a series of Kentucky, 9 and 9 for them. Auburn wins a series against us. They're a game ahead of us now, 7 11. We're 6 and 12. Ole Miss, worst record. Uh, in the conference overall and in the league they're 21 and 19 and 3 and 15 in a league but they're going to win some games unless they quit they're going to win some games down the stretch they can still get the hoover and anything can happen i just don't see them making an NCAA regional at, at this point i mean at this point you're assured of a losing record He said but steve are 3 and 15 do you think they're going to sweep the last four series not going to happen it's not They'll win some games, probably win some series, but uh, we got to hope they don't win more than us. We have a three-game lead over them, and we're, we're still sweating this thing out. And there's a lot of people just ready to kind of move on. Like, Steve, this, this isn't going to work out. Yeah, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But I know this. I know that uh, we need a good week of baseball, and it's going to be a tall task for us, having to go to Knoxville. This suddenly red-hot Tennessee team, you know, they're so up and down, you never know, maybe we catch them, maybe we catch them down. All right, there are no games to be played tonight, but a uh, pretty good slate of games on Tuesday. Georgia State will be at Georgia. North Florida at Florida. Bellarmine at Tennessee. Louisville at Kentucky. That is a rescheduled game. That'll be a, your SEC Network game with a 6 p.m. first pitch. So if you're don't, if you not watching State, no miss. Or maybe you want to flip back and forth. That's the uh, two top 25 teams going head-to-head there in Lexington. Uh, Louisville got swept over the weekend, too, by Duke. So, you know, Kentucky... Could be an RPI builder for them. Samford is at Alabama. Ole Miss and Mississippi State, of course, uh, playing in Trustmark Park and Pearl. That's first pitch at 6 p.m. Uh, so be sure and turn out and be a part of that. Uh, Troy is at, Alabama, at Auburn. Sam Houston State, at Texas A&M. Nichols State at LSU. Arkansas uh, heads to Missouri State. You know, the Missouri State uh, Bears gave them all kind of trouble uh, here recently uh, in, on the football field. So we'll see if there's a carryover there. But um, interesting to say the least. And uh, we get into Wednesday show. We'll kind of look ahead here. Uh, just the one Wednesday game, uh, Missouri and Southeastern Illinois. And then, again, the Thursday series, we're one of those two. State will, will be in Knoxville. We'll open against Tennessee on the road. And then A&M will be at Arkansas. Could be an interesting series. Uh, we need to win a game. But, again, we'll talk about that more on, uh, on Wednesday. But uh, kind of looking ahead to the weekend, see what everybody else has. Alabama's at LSU. Kentucky's at Vanderbilt. That's a big series for both teams. Vanderbilt's still fifth in the rankings. I don't know how you get swept and only drop a spot. Uh, Missouri will be at Florida, and Florida needs that. Auburn's at South Carolina, and then Georgia's at Ole Miss. And after Georgia played as well as they did, you know we were thinking before that maybe that's a series Ole Miss should win. I don't know if we would say that now. It's a series they could win. don't know if it's one they should win. Uh, they're going to see some elite pitching from Georgia. Georgia. Georgia can swing it a little bit, but they're, they're built on pitching. But we'll see how things go. But uh, I just know this. The Bulldogs need to get a game as best they can uh, from Tennessee. Well, you'd love to win the series, but I don't think anybody's expecting that. Just we, need, we need to win a game. We've got to pick up a game or two somewhere else. We gotta, we've got to pull a rabbit out of the hat somewhere. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Brooks Bryant is my friend, your friend, a friend of Starkville. Uh, Ward the M over S, man. It was his dream to be a Bulldog. He, that dream was realized. He was part of two teams that went to Omaha in 97-98. This is a guy that's vested in Mississippi State and Starkville's future. Uh, Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And here's the deal. You've thought about moving to Starkville. You dreamed of it. Make it a reality and live around other Bulldog fans. You don't have to deal with all these uh, rival fans walking around in Walmart, giving you the evil eye. You know, we do that to them when we're here. Uh, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to four-bedroom, four-bath home and get anything in between. They can custom build for you if you need special kitchen equipment or if you need a bigger office space, whatever. They can work with you on that. They're more than willing to cooperate with you. It's not a cookie-cutter community, right? Let Brooks know what you need. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under development now. A couple of those homes still available for purchase. And then, there, of course, there's a uh, the opportunity to build it as you like. You, know, you can pick out your lot and have a say in your housing plans. Everybody deserves the opportunity to do that. Very easy to find. Turn off 82 on 12 like go into campus. First ride is Pat Station Road through the four-way stop. There's Portico on your right. Next time you're in town, go by and give yourself a self-guided tour and then give Brooks a call to find out how Portico can become your next move. All right. So I went over to Auburn over the weekend. I was kind of uh, reluctant to talk about this, but I felt like I needed to. I think maybe this is a healing moment in many respects uh you guys know John Cohen is my friend and uh I love John and Nell I do and uh still in contact with John I enjoy talking baseball with John I mean I don't know many people that have that know SEC baseball the way John Cohen does I mean he knows it from every angle right he's been a player a coach and athletic director and uh Auburn's baseball will probably get better funding than it's ever had you know right because John's over there um And so, yeah, I mean, I wish those guys the best. But I had lunch with John on Friday. Always good to catch up. And I had some barbecue. It was great. And uh, before I got ready to go, he's like, hey, I talked to Hugh this morning. And uh, would you be willing to talk to Hugh? And I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do that. I mean, you know, I think it's important for you guys to understand this, that, um, you know, me and Hugh Freeze will be linked together forever. And uh, it's an unfortunate situation for him, right? Um, and I was kind of the driving force behind that to find those, those transgressions. And uh, I've taken a lot of criticism for it, but nothing compared to what he has taken, right? And rightfully so, right? I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. I just did my job and ultimately exposed uh, the biggest scandal in Mississippi college sports history, right? Right? But, uh, you know, as time has gone on, you know, a lot of people, have, you know, they've said certain things and, and suggested certain things that just simply aren't true. And so I got a chance to tour the football complex at Auburn. Let me just tell you this. It's uh, fantastic. It's the newest, nicest one. It's got all the buzzers and whistles. And uh, when I walked around there, I thought to myself, man, our coaches have to compete against us. It's crazy. Indoor practice facilities, outstanding. I uh, had a chance to speak with the strength and conditioning coaches. And uh, he kind of took me through their regimen about how they evaluate each player. It's like a login, And then they, they have like a workout for each guy. And then they they gauge uh, bar speed, right? It's not just about the amount of weight. It's how explosive you can be. It's, it's very technical. Uh, they've got this great thing too where they, uh, let's say for an example, when you get a pair of shoes, that they don't fit exactly right, they have a digital printer. They can make the insert for your shoe to make them fit perfect. It's like something from outer space. And so while I'm over there, I was expecting to get a chance to meet with Coach Freeze and um, found out right before I got over there that he actually was involved in some meetings and then off campus. So we were never able to get together. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I am. Uh, Just because I'm kind of eager to put all this stuff behind me, right? Uh, I have in many respects, but there's always been that kind of in the background, right? Right? Uh, I'm not the kind of person that has to have everybody like me. There's some people in my life who think that. They don't understand some of the beefs that I've lived with, and I guess I've kind of shielded them from that. I am not a people pleaser in that respect. I'm just not. If you don't like me, that's a you problem, not a me problem. You know, And it's like it's so funny, too. I see all these people on social media that well, I've got a problem with Steve Robertson. You don't even know me. You may have a problem with something I did or I said, but you don't know me. You just know what I've allowed you to know. And it's like I, I, one of my favorite memes you are like, hey, if you've got a problem with me, then call me. Well, if you don't have my number, then you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. That's kind of how I feel about all that. But uh, but anyway, this was a very obviously a, a very big deal. And so I was a little bit disappointed. I said, I, I, I would like to have met Coach Freeze and let's kind of clear the air a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's back in the league. I mean, you know, so, you know, we're going to have some interaction from time to time, right? I mean, I'm going to be writing about Auburn when we play them. And uh, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to do it. And uh, but I said I'm not going to force the issue. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, you know, if God wanted this opportunity to happen, it would have materialized. And so I get to the ballpark yesterday. I got up yesterday. I felt great. I really did. It felt great about us winning a ball game, winning a series, and coming back home with the dream alive for us to make uh, you know make a run and maybe making a three seed spot somewhere in an NCAA regional. So I'm get, sitting in my car going through social media. I get a notification. Pops up my direct messages, and, and it's Coach Freeze. And he goes, hey, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to get together. I'm not going to share all the details with you, but he's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to speak. And it really touched me, right? I'm mean, like, you know, if I don't know that I would want to talk to me, right? I mean, this is the guy that exposed one of the biggest embarrassments in my life. You know, it ultimately led to, you know, me, me resigning from a job that I loved, right? I had some success. I mean, you know, it, it's not an insignificant thing. Uh, not that I need Hugh Freeze's approval or anything, but I, I was like, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And so I, I sent him a long message, and uh, essentially I just taught him, as a Coach, I, I harbor no ill will in my heart towards you and uh, no bitterness in my heart. Wish you the best except, except against us. And he responded uh, beautifully. I'll, I'll just say that. He, he really did respond in a very uh, beautiful way, and I thought it was very genuine. And uh, I'm here to tell you that as far as I'm concerned, and I texted John Cohen yesterday, I told him, I said, I've been messaging back and forth with your football coach, and as far as I'm concerned, the hatchet is buried. And that's how I feel about this. And uh, I am moving beyond this. I didn't realize that um, that maybe that needed to happen. You know, and, and maybe this is the way it should happen, right? Maybe instead of just meeting face-to-face and having all this awkward stuff, maybe this is a step in many respects that uh, needed to be taken. But um, it's done now. And uh, again, I, I just want to say, for the record, for those of you that kept up, I just I don't have any bitterness in my heart for Hugh Freeze, and in many respects, you know, he was kind of collateral damage in the whole deal. I mean, like when I was investigating all this stuff, you know, the phone records just happened to show up one day. It wasn't like he was targeted or anything. It's just you know, at the end of the day, there was a major NCAA investigation going on at Ole Miss, and our in-state media was reluctant to cover it. And they were trying to cover everything up, and like every time you turned around, you know, it's like you know the administration at all Miss was saying some things that I knew were untrue. And so I came on this show, and uh, you know, social media, and we talked about it. And there were so many people that tried to keep that thing hidden. They were trying to keep it covered up and trying to get a recruiting class uh, to to bed. And they misled some of those kids. They did. And uh, it didn't work out in the end, uh, but. You know, I think it's important to understand that, that, uh, you know, Hugh Freeze just happened to be the coach at Ole Miss. Hugh Freeze was never a target in that respect. I think that's an important thing for people to understand is that, um, you know, I was writing a book already. The book, matter of fact, the book was done. And then all of a sudden Hugh resigns, and then we have to pull the book back and change a couple chapters and address those things. And so it was never anything personal. Now, there's always in this rivalry some acrimony between, you know, fans and the opposing coaches. I mean, it's like I think Mike Bianco might be uh, the Ole Miss coach that I've liked the most. I mean, listen, when he's out there whining and crying on the field, I don't think a lot of him then. But it's 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 impossible to ignore the program that he's built at Ole Miss. But, you know, football coaches are a little more charismatic, and it seems like that there's so many of them that say and do things that are just kind of silly. And they, they like Lane Kiffin wants to needle you a little bit, you know, there is a little more of that in football. And so as a result, I think that the uh, you know, the bitterness at times about the sitting head coach at Ole Miss, um, that guy's an enemy, right? I mean, that's how you see him. I mean, it's just kind of how it is. I mean, goodness. I, I interviewed Houston Nutt for Flim Flim. I have a whole chapter about Houston Nutt, former Ole Miss coach. And it was my honor to speak to him because he was no longer – the Ole Miss head coach, he's Houston Knight, right? And uh, so it was incredible to be able to do that. And so I just think, again, I wanted to share that with you. And, again, I thought long and hard about it before I talked about it on the show. But uh, it's done. It's over with. And if I saw Hugh Freeze tomorrow, I'd walk up and I'd shake his hand. And, um, you know, my wife yesterday, we were talking about it, you know, some of the things that I said. And, you know, she said, well, you know, I, I, I never thought I'd hear you say that. And I said, I'm just trying to be the bigger person here. I'm just trying to move on. You know, there's no point – uh, and this 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 man has paid a steep price, and uh, some would say rightfully so. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that I just want to move past all this, and I feel very relieved. I guess in many respects that uh, we've had some interaction. This wasn't our first interaction. I mean, like you know, as soon as he got the job at Auburn, uh, a couple of days from that, he reached out to me and uh, had some very nice things to say about John. He knows that John and I are friends, and. Uh, You know, he's messaged me before in the past when he's heard some things that I've said on some podcasts, not this one, but I was on a rivalry podcast one time and I corrected somebody and some Liberty fans got emotional. And so uh, we interacted then. But uh, I'll just sit here and tell you there there has been no fireworks between Hugh Freeze and I the last couple years, and we have had uh, multiple interactions uh, through messaging. But uh, this is the first time I think that we ever really just kind of, hey, Let's just kind of move on from this. And, uh, again, I wish him the best at Auburn. It's not at our expense. You know, need him to go beat Ole Miss and uh, beat some other teams in the West to give us a a chance to uh, move up the ladder a little bit. But um, I can tell you that outfit over there, man, is uh, is awfully impressive. It is awfully impressive. The videos do not do it justice. And I'm walking around up there in awe, and I was like, I can't believe – how nice this thing is and our coaches got to go recruit against this and as I'm, I spoke to Greg Dry yesterday former Bulldog assistant Greg Dry now working with Auburn baseball I said you know what a football recruit going to see this Auburn IPF and they're going to feel the same way about that that a baseball recruit does when they come to Duty Noble Field it's very impressive all right if you haven't done so go to dogpilebook.com you can order some books there dogpile obviously uh maybe a chance to be a little bit nostalgic yourself and remember that we were great not too long ago and you can get Alpha Dogs there and Flim Flam, the aforementioned Flim Flam. And you can read exactly what I had to say about Hugh Freeze. And uh, in addition to that, you can get Blooms of Oleander at Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, BooksMillion.com. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And if you're not a member of our, our crazy, kooky family at JeansPage.com, come be a part of that today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.